Welcome to Carry the Fire, a podcast where we explore the big questions of life through the lens of the good, the true, and the beautiful. I'm your host, Dustin Kensrue, and my hope is that through these conversations with people of diverse and divergent backgrounds and beliefs, we can glimpse the world anew through each other's unique perspectives. In the Christian faith and in the Hebrew Bible that are so rooted in imagery that is connected to the to the earth and to oh absolutely land and water so it's so strange that we are you know we've just completely divorced that from it um so yeah so uh learning about even the potawatomi language like how our language is even just so rooted in the land you know um and how because of that our spirituality is directly tied to the land as well you know that we we honor our relationship with Mother Earth, with Sagamakwe is what we call her. Like we honor that relationship, and in that, in that we honor Creator, we honor God, we honor the Great Mystery. Hello, everybody. Today on the pod, we are joined by Caitlin Curtis. Caitlin is an author, speaker, storyteller, and poet. She has a new book coming out soon, which is titled Native Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God. Among other things, in our conversation, we compare ideas about ecology, community, and the divine through the lens of both her Christian upbringing and her native Potawatomi heritage. We discuss the nuance and care needed to avoid cultural appropriation, and we talk a bit about the recent controversy surrounding her speech at Baylor University. Let's dive in. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry your book stuff is getting kind of wonky with the world falling apart. Yeah, it's just, you know, what it is. I uh, just like speaking events getting canceled, mm-hmm. and so that stinks. So it's just like, you just kind of have to recalibrate, you know, every time. So I'm just trying to figure it out along the way, but... Yeah, I think <laughs> everyone is trying to figure it out at the same time, which is yeah. Inter- interesting. Yeah. I like to start off asking people um, what they remember causing them to have a deep feeling of wonder when they were a kid. Mm. Um, when I was really young, actually, I write about this in my in my book. But when I was really young, um, I had a, a so much wonder just being out in nature, um, mm-hmm. and I also have always loved music. So I would often just go outside and sing, you know, sing my favorite songs from, I'm sure, Disney movies and (laughs) stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and just having that, just having this connectedness to trees and plants and um, wanting to just kind of spend time with them and be in my own little head and just imagine my world differently or in a more vibrant way or whatever it needed to be. Was that like in your backyard or your neighborhood? Um, backyard when we had one and then, yeah, anywhere in my yard, really. I mean, I just, you know, near my house, wherever I could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what do you end up finding wonder in these days? Um, the same thing, actually. It took me a while to, um, come back around to, you know, on this journey of kind of understanding my own identity and my own, um, need to be connected to the land. So Mm -hmm. going on walks with uh, my family or just walking my dog right now, it's bringing up a lot of, it brings up grief and it brings up so many emotions, but it's also really beautiful and healing at the same time, you know, Mm -hmm. and it, it allows me to tap into those kind of childlike places of wonder at the same time. And Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful to have that. Sounds cool. Uh, yeah, I like, that's interesting hearing about, well, I'm sure we'll dig into it more later, but coming back to the same wonder in a new way. Cause I think so much of, uh, wonder is attached to an openness that we, uh, are taught to close up and suppress a lot of times, mm-hmm. I think. And, um, yeah, that's cool that it opened back up to the same thing. I'm also weave in a couple different, um, questions from some of uh, the patrons of my show too. 
Uh, I usually hit those a little later, but I, I wanted to hit this one kind of on the front okay. since it's dealing with our moment at the time. Uh, but Brian asked, uh, or he said, I saw the survey your eight-year-old created around coronavirus and oh. loved the question on pronouns. Uh, I also completed the uh, survey. And he says, when it comes uh, to the time we're in right now, is seeing your child still pursue research on an inquiry amidst all this doubt and uncertainty a comfort to you as a parent? Yeah. Yeah. And the the thing about that survey was really, you know, my son is um, grieving a lot right now. He's, you know, his school is closed the rest of the year mm-hmm. and we're about to move. So he can't say goodbye to oh. in the way he could to a lot of the people he loves. And so yeah. it's been really difficult, a lot mm-hmm. of grief and crying. And, and so, um, I mean, uh, my partner is a political scientist, so there's already research in this house all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's just been really interesting how um, he is trying to figure that out. And so he he came to us one day and he was trying to make his own little written explanation. Mm-hmm. He made a whole folder um, writing on different pages like this is how many people have died and this is how many, mm-hmm. you know, he's just trying to track it in his mind. And you could tell that it was really overwhelming him. So um, so he and my partner, Travis, decided to go online and create, you know, this uh, survey that they could do and that he could be a part of. And it, it really helped him. It really helped him to know, one, that he's not alone, mm-hmm. you know, and that other people are trying to process this, adults and kids. And um, it was really, really beautiful for me to see him doing that because he was trying to, you know, he's finding an outlet. And I could help him by sharing with my followers. And I don't know, it was just one of those moments where we were all coming together and participating in this and saying, you're not alone and I'm not alone. And this is hard. And, you know, it's good to ask questions. So that's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about your new book that's coming out in a bit. Maybe give us an idea of what it's about by maybe by way of like, when did you know that this was the book you needed to write and why? Mm, yeah. So I, my first book came out in 2017, Glory Happening. And, you know, as I was writing Glory Happening, I was really starting to deconstruct my childhood upbringing, my faith. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist and I was really starting to ask questions of that, <clears throat> um, discovering different sort of images and names and words for God or mystery, you know, sort of starting to go, go into those things. And at the same time, kind of just uh, reconnecting to myself and my identity and in so many different ways as a woman, Mm -hmm. as an indigenous woman, as a, you know, mixed, you know, I'm, I'm white and I'm Potawatomi. So being mixed and just trying to understand all these things, you know? And so, um, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't really plan for it. I think it just, um, I knew that I was having these really big questions around identity and who is God. And, you know, so much of my writing is through storytelling. And so I wanted to write a book that would allow people to read stories from my life and still connect with them on those deeper levels of just what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this book about, you know, my identity and that deconstructing of my faith and really challenges I'm hitting with the church and how hard it is to even use the term Christian. And, and, um, so, so many pretty hard things to write about. Um, you know, I started therapy as I was writing it too. So, uh, you know, uncovering so many things and then being able to process and write and grieve kind of all at the same time was Mm -hmm. hard, but it was really beautiful. And, you know, it gave me this book. Um, so yeah, I was, I'm really honored that I got to write it and I hope that it speaks to people, you know, whatever their journey is, that it speaks to these ideas of transforming and evolving and, you know, how our identities change and over time and that, that it's okay to ask who God is and have those big questions. So. Mm -hmm. As far as your Potawatomi roots, when did you really start wanting to connect with those? Because I know, uh, I think I read that you, as a child, you weren't really connected to that past very yeah, much. Yeah, I grew up in, you know, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and my dad worked for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And so mm-hmm. 
it's it was weird because it's like we're there and we're living it but then we're not talking about it so Mm. there's this you know um this fear of talking about our identity and especially talking about what's hard about it like um or or even about what's good about it we just didn't really have those conversations so um yeah so it really when i had my kids in my mid mid mid-20s I think it started opening up those um, avenues inside of me for asking, like, what does it actually mean for me to be Potawatomi? You know, I know I, I know I am, you know, I've always known I am. Um, but what does that mean in a different way as an adult, you know? And so learning the language and coming back to that and learning our stories and um, re-engaging with my tribe has been really important. And so it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey, you know, um, and yeah, it's it's been really great. That's cool. I wanted to see, and I, I don't want to imply at all that native culture is any kind of monolith by any means, but kind of more connected to your own experiences and research into your roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to hear you contrast um, some of the views that you've been handed through your Christian heritage and then also through your native um, heritage on different subjects. If that's cool. Okay. So one of them that I'm curious about is uh, the way that you think about um, the environment or ecology mm-hmm. or place. Um, maybe contrast like how you originally have understood those things and then what you've kind of learned through this journey. Yeah. So that kind of connects to that first question you asked me. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I was really young, I think that I did have this, even without knowing what it was, um, this connection to the land and to, uh, the creatures around me. And, um, I think over time, I think this happens anyway, but over time living in America, living as West in Western thought, we get, um, stripped of that part of who we are. Um, I think all of us do really, but, um, but for me, I think, you know, in the, in the Baptist church, we, read Genesis and we talk about like the world being created. And really the only thing you get is like, you know, we're called to dominate and take dominion, right? That whole idea. And it's kind of just like, you know, just save souls and do your thing. And then there's nothing really beyond, there's no, there's no conversation about an actual relationship with the earth. And so, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I don't even remember, you know, sitting in church, actually having anything near a conversation about that. Um, which is wild because, you know, there's so many stories in the Christian faith and in the Hebrew Bible that are so rooted in imagery that is connected to the, to the earth and to oh, absolutely land and water. So it's so strange that we are, you know, we've just completely divorced that from it. Um, so yeah, so, uh, learning about even the Potawatomi language, like, how our language is even just so rooted in the land, you know, um, and how, because of that, our spirituality is directly tied to the land as well. You know, that we, we honor our relationship with mother earth with Sukkumakwe is what we call her. Like we honor that relationship. And in that, in that we honor creator, we honor God, we honor the great mystery. And I never would have learned that, you know, and a lot of Christians don't. And I think in the last few years, at least I've seen like <coughs> sort of in my in my Twitter community and things like that, I've seen um, Christians kind of starting to have some of these conversations about, you know, what have we missed? Um, how have we rejected a relationship with the earth when we could have been like cultivating this care for the land and like even thinking about the land? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that that one is a big, a big separation and something that I'm feeling like I'm still so young in understanding this again. And it really is taking me back to like childlikeness, which is just really interesting that it kind of goes back full circle to embracing um, my child self and in honoring the the land and that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting for you that you're, you're in a position like having this mixed heritage to where, uh, you're naturally digging into something that I feel like is actually something that 
could be helpful for, I mean, I think any time that you're taking your tradition and you're kind of learning about another one and seeing the ways that it differs, because any tradition is going to have its things that it does well and things that it mm-hmm. kind of has blind spots to. And I feel like, especially uh, with like a Western Christianity, there is this such a disconnect from mm-hmm. the body, disconnect from the earth. Uh, yeah. And those are things that it um, seems like native traditions do very well. And yeah. um, there's a lot to, to learn from that kind of interaction. What about ways that you think about God or the divine um, between kind of yeah. those heritage? I think that the best way to to describe that is that um, it's just expanded my ideas of the divine. Um, and like I said, when I was writing Glory Happening, I think I was already kind of doing that. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have language for it. So then to learn, you know... Um, Kache Manado is the great spirit or Mamogosnan is creator, like to learn to learn to pray in Potawatomi or to learn these phrases that that um tie me back to this heritage of myself and my family and my people. But then also to just widen who I believe God is has really, really helped me. Um and um I w- I don't know if it's helped me be a better Christian, <laughs> you know, maybe in some people's eyes, it's made me a worse one probably, but, um, it's expanded, um, my ideas of sacredness and holiness and, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, um, I was surprised to find that I actually am more comforted by the fact that there is this wider expanse of the divine than the the little bubble I kind of grew up knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually more comforting to me. Where to some people that would be way more scary, you know, to go from Was I know this scary to I point? don't know. Yeah. Was it scary at any point, or it, I don't it just, think so. It, okay. Because I think I, think I just needed it so much. You mm-hmm. know, like I just I just needed I needed permission maybe to just let it go, you know, and, and see what else existed because the faith that I grew up with is very fear-based. You're trying to save people's souls. You're trying to get them to heaven. You're trying to get people not going to hell. You're trying to keep yourself safe from hell. And it was just, you know, so much fear and, um, to step out of that and just kind of breathe and, and say, okay, like wherever God is, whoever God is, whatever this is, like it is holy and mm-hmm. it's out there and and we can find it, you know, that was comforting to me. Yeah. So what started you on that journey then of, um, deconstructing some of that fear-based stuff and being open to kind of whatever yeah. you found? Um, I always go back to this story in college when I took a world lit class and it was, um, we were going to talk about the story of Abraham and Isaac. And, uh, I went there. I was so excited that we were going to be covering the Bible. So I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, I've got this. Like, I'll (laughs) tell everyone what it's about. And, you know, and then we get to that class and everyone was like, this story is stupid. Like God is ridiculous. And I just remember one feeling like, oh my God, like my belief system is not the only one. And, and then two, just feeling like so terrified and threatened sort of, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just went home that day, like holding my Bible, just like crying. Cause I, cause it was the first time I was face to face with a different reality than my own religious experience. And as scary as it was then way back then, like it really started to break something open in me. And, um, you know, I studied social work in undergrad and my best friend was an atheist in the program. And so we were so different and we just loved each other. And it was just, it just kept opening me up, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. And then just blogging and, and writing and, you know, reading from different people, even, even within the Christian tradition, like people that, um, I didn't grow up with in the Baptist church, just, yeah. you know, it continued to open me up and allow for that space, I think. And, um, yeah, so it was gradual. I feel like it mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of unfolded over the years. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about how, like, what a strange time we live in where all of these things are smashing into each other and all of this information is at everyone's fingertips where the majority of time, I mean, there's been interactions between things, but generally you've been in a group and everyone thinks a really similar thing. And yeah, uh, it, those basic building blocks don't really get challenged. Um, right. And now we're in a spot where everyone is in that place of, uh, and I think a lot of people uh, are still in that spot of like, until something kind of breaks you open, like you were saying, like something happens to break that exterior and start to let things in. Um, but until that happens, I think we're kind of hardwired to try to stay in our little yeah safe spot. Um, but I, I think, I don't know, uh, with all the people I talk to, there is, there is always, um, like once that thing is broken open, there's something so much more beautiful that, uh, is let in, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and that's always encouraging. had any thoughts on uh differences in community uh, at least like from your growing up in in the southern baptist and whatever other christian context versus the community you've experienced um as you were leaning into your native heritage yeah um this is just another another aspect of american christianity is this it's a weird thing because it's like we're so wired for community. We do small groups and we do Bible studies and, you know, mm. meals, like there's this need and desire for community, but then there's also this extreme individualism. So it's like our sins are individual. So, you mm. know, you have to think about the ways you sin. And if, even if you go to a church and you know, people, your worship is still so individualized. Um, and for me that very, like, what is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Like that kind of just constant, um, accentuation on that, you know, was really vivid and, um, you know, what's your quiet time? Like, what's your prayer life? Like just the, the, um, what is it? Accountability, you know, style mm -hmm. stuff like is, um, can be good, but it can also be really stressful and damaging in some ways. Um, so going from that to understanding. And, and what I realized for me is that I've always been wired for this communal, like need for relationship and community. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing where it was like stripped out of me for a while and I'm returning to it. And, mm -hmm. um, that was something else that I learned, you know, even in therapy, like trying, seeing myself as someone who within the Christian context, I've always wanted to cultivate community and relationship and sometimes it just, you don't, you can't, like you can't get there. And, um, yeah. So the internet has been so interesting. You know, Twitter is like, can be such a horrible place. Mm -hmm. And then it can also be this amazing place where you build community with people, like you said, who may not even be like you, but you know, now finding like, um, native Twitter and like interfaith, um, relationships where I'm friends with people of all these different religions and faiths and we're holding this space together and we're, you know, like we're crying out over the same things and we're praying over the same things. And I don't know. I just think that, um, that's been really beautiful to see and to understand these ideas of kinship and belonging and relationship with one another that, that I wasn't, I wasn't taught to understand relationships in that way in the church. I don't think. Yeah. I, I like how you're pointing out that disconnect between how group oriented uh, kind of Western Christianity can be, while at the same time 
being kind of the most individualist, uh, like meritocracy kind of system. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that we do that as an American culture as well, where yeah. everybody's problems are just, just their problems. Right. Um, we might get in groups to do certain things, but as far as, if you have a problem, that's just your thing. It has nothing to do with any kind of systems or structures or anything else. Like where you stand on that issue is, is one of the hugest ways that can shift your entire way that you see the world. Um, mm-hmm, totally. And I definitely used to see it more as a, well, yeah, you know, you, everyone's got an equal chance to do whatever. And the more you actually look at any effects of systems on people, individuals, uh, it becomes clear that that's just very, very not true. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about experience? Like how you value your own experiences or other people's, uh, experience as you are looking about, you know, what is good, what is true around you? Mm. Um, I think that that's just kind of the coming back to like, um, the fear base, like even experiences and even like, um, you know, things outside that bubble of the church were always so scary. Like, you know, these countries are dark cause they don't have Jesus or these mm. places are dark. Don't go to them. Or these people aren't Christian enough or they're not this kind of Christian. So don't have relationships with them. You know, everything was just so like, be careful what you get near or you might, you know, be tempted or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then just to go from that to just saying like, you can honor the experience of other people and share in those experiences and understand that this is what it means to be human. And if we're being human with one another, then we are sharing our sacredness with one another. And, you know, the kind of like dust to dust idea that we have in Lent in the Christian tradition, like that's, um, that's us choosing to share our humanity with each other, you know? And, and when I was younger, that probably would have terrified me that, that those ideas, um, in some ways. And, um, and I just think now that we need it, we really need to be listening to one another and sharing our stories, you know, our stories are who we are. So, actually doing the work of storytelling and sharing is um, really important, I think, for our healing, collective healing and individual healing. Does that make sense? Yeah. One of the patrons asked a question that'll dovetail out of that well. Um, Jacob said, it's very much looking forward to your new book. Um, And he says, I'm wondering how you see different traditions operating and coming together within your practice as a poet. Uh, Being Midwest resident and William Blake studies guy. I'm very interested in how you might see your Potawatomi heritage and Christian biblical traditions and literatures coming together in your work. Oh, interesting. Um, I do have poems in my new book. So, um, he talked about poetry. Um, I have, I guess a few, a few poems, but a poem that starts each section of the book, an original poem that I wrote. Um, and, um, yeah, it's very interesting because the imagery that I carry now is imagery, you know, I'm, I'm carrying imagery of, um, all, all of who I am. And it is a mixture of these things and, Mm -hmm. you know, imagery of the land as sacred and imagery of God. And, um, I don't know what to say other than that. It's just completely all mixed in there now (laughs) so (laughs) anytime I write like I can't separate them out like because it's always been who I am but now I'm I'm writing from that space and um and uh so it makes it interesting because you know I could go speak somewhere and be called a pagan for it because Mm -hmm. they're seeing this these ideas of God that or the ideas of the earth that um are not uh what they want to hear um so in some spaces i'm too out there and then in other spaces i'm too christian maybe and so it's really interesting trying to write you know through this journey of things constantly kind of changing and asking and reassessing how i view the world Mm -hmm. i don't know if that answers this question but i think so i think it's asking just about you know yeah um 
Yeah, I think anything you read or especially things that, you know, uh, are formative for you end up becoming a part of your language, right. your languages. And, and so yeah. it's going to influence how you write, which is cool. I, I know you've been doing a lot of just research in general on, I see you kind of interacting with native Twitter and things like that. And I was uh, curious if you had any thoughts on like the topic of appropriation um, in terms of like uh, when is something appropriation and not uh, mm. just appreciation or adaptation in a way that is um, could be helpful. Cause I, I think this is a hard yeah. Like we're in a moment where everyone's trying to figure this out yes. and there are definitely kind of people uh, acting in bad faith as they interact with this topic. But I think there are a lot of people who really are trying to be helpful. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I'm curious if you had any things that had kind of been light bulb moments for you. Yeah. Um, the more I do kind of um, interfaith dialogue or interspiritual conversations with other people, that's something that comes up a lot because when we're sharing our cultures with each other, when we're, you know, in these spaces where we're having these mm -hmm. beautiful conversations, you know, appropriation is, is, can be a part of that. And it often is like, um, so spiritual gatherings where I think it's especially dangerous when it's white Western kind of led spiritual gatherings where people's cultures are just kind of, taken and used, I think mm. that that can get dangerous, if that makes sense. Um, you know, if I'm at a gathering as who I am and I'm smudging or I'm, I'm do I'm praying in Potawatomi, like, um, I think that might be different than, um, a group where I'm not present, where they're using our sacred practices without acknowledging or understanding what those are. Um, one thing that happened, like, I think this was last year, um, Sephora was doing like a witch kit and they put like sage and stuff in it. And it mm -hmm. was like, this is a conversation about, um, a conversation about like, uh, where are they getting their, their sage? Like they're, mm -hmm. they're taking a sacred medicine and they're manufacturing it to sell it. And that, that's not okay. Like that's, um, you know, taking a gift from the earth and using it in a way that steals from, its sacredness. So thinking about like the commercialization of things, and that's hard because, um, so much of our spiritual practices have become commercialized, mm -hmm. like, like yoga, you know, like all the yoga things you can buy or smudging, you know, smudging kits and, you know, stuff like that, where it just becomes, it becomes a product for consumerism instead of actually understanding like why these things matter to these cultures. And, um, and how they can be abused, you know, and it but it's a like, fine oh, line. It's so hard. It's so well, yeah. Hard. I, I remember you were tweeting about, uh, some of the sage stuff and I remember like not fully understanding where you come from and researching it a bit and seeing part of the problem too is, uh, that sage is being a lot of times being harvested off of, uh, yeah. land and basically wiped out in areas. Yeah. Whereas right. when native people are harvesting it, they're, basically taking small bits, making sure that the the whole environment is being cared for as well. Um, exactly. Yeah. Which isn't, to, you know, which like, I'm not saying that non-native people shouldn't have a relationship with the land. Like I would, I hope everyone begins to have a reconnected relationship with the land and with honoring the earth. Right. But with that then comes this if you honor the earth and honor the gifts given to us through plants and through these things, then you wouldn't want to commercialize them and sell them, you know, because you're connected, like then you would recognize like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't be clearing out all this sage and wrapping it in plastic and selling it to people in stores, you know, because you're understanding what that relationship means. I don't know. Yeah. It's really tricky. It's, and it's tricky on all levels. Like, do we, you know, can we make teepees? Can we make um, teepees to sell for kids? Or can we have pillows with native designs on them sold at Target? Or can we, you know, there's so many. Well, yeah. So like that's it's a, a layered thing. You that's know? a good one because I uh, I was thinking about that because I I do appreciate uh, a lot of design that's influenced from right. uh, native aesthetics and uh, so I was trying to think of something to compare it to. Um, I was thinking about. 
um, like plaid, different tartan things like came from Scotland at some point Mm -hmm. and then became ubiquitous, um, totally removed from that context. And I feel like the major difference, at least that I can see between like that situation where everybody wears plaid and doesn't think about where did this Mm -hmm. come from, uh, and native stuff is the fact that, and maybe maybe this is a bigger question. I don't know if you have thought about this, but is the situation in America unique as far as the way that the colonialism is functioning? Um, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like because it happened uh, somewhat more recently than a lot of. Europe was settled by different people. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just think what what I'm coming to understand even in my own learning of this and listening to other indigenous voices is that there's so much violence in the stealing of indigenous things and culture mm-hmm. and erasure of it. So then to have it taken and then uh, reproduced in a Target store or yeah. wherever is is what is so damaging about it. You know, so if someone can afford it to be able to go to a um, website of a native designer and mm-hmm. order pillows straight from them or, you know, um, I don't know, just like taking the time to order jewelry from an indigenous artist so that you're supporting them directly, you're supporting their communities um, instead of this corporation. Now, I also know that a bunch of there are tons of people who can't afford that. They can't afford to just, um, they can't afford to buy the handmade high quality things. And I, I understand that too. And so that's where the things are tricky and it is really layered, but there are alternatives and there are things that you can do to support the cultures, you know, and the people who have been making these things to continue to support them instead. Yeah. Yeah. It's so hard because I think at a certain point, the way that creativity works in in general is like seeing two things that have not been put together before. And, and so there's this idea of, uh, being influenced by things and and whatever. And I, and I, that's, that's where I think the line's really hard because you, Mm -hmm. uh, you want that to be happening, I think for the good of humanity at a larger level. Um, but I think, I I think what we have to be careful of is kind of what you're hinting at is this idea of that, if the thing that you are grabbing onto is in some way connected to a, a violence that is still ongoing and is right. definitely still, um, so there's, there's, yeah, there's things ongoing right now, but even our past, which is just brutal is not acknowledged right. at large. And that means that we're going to continue to perpetuate, uh, those kinds of things. And, that pain is in no way being rectified for the native people who still live and breathe on this land. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really hard, but, Mm -hmm. uh, I think maybe the recommendation, even though this is a, I don't think you can make a blanket statement, but trying to listen to native voices to hear what they're saying to, I guess, not be presumptuous in how, Yeah, I mean, I think that's where we all need to start with any of those things is listening to the people that it affects, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and then you have to remember, we're not all the same, like, we don't all have the same opinion. So something that one person may call appropriation, there may be another indigenous person who's like, I don't care if you do that, (laughs) you know, like, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But it the listening part is really important. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask you about uh, land acknowledgements. So maybe some people probably have not heard of that. Um, so maybe explain what it is, mm-hmm. uh, what the purpose is and how helpful you think it is, how often people should be doing yeah. that. Um, so land acknowledgements are basically where you acknowledge the original peoples of the land that you're on. So, you know, um, in my tribe, we call this turtle Island. So, you know, acknowledging that there are, were, still are indigenous peoples all across this land. So, and it's really, it's really interesting because America is so behind on this concept and this idea, like Canada and um, New Zealand, you know, you have other nations 
that have been practicing this for a long time. So we are just so far behind. And so when I travel and do my speaking events, I always do open with a land acknowledgement and mm. people are always surprised by it. Um, some offended, some really grateful, you know, that it happened because we are so, um, not used to it. And, um, you know, I definitely think that there are wrong ways to do it. And this is a conversation that I've heard about in Canada is, you know, when do you do it so much that it loses its meaning? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to acknowledge the peoples of a land, take the time to actually learn about them and to care about them. And, and the other thing is not to, um, I think that sometimes land acknowledgements become like, here are some people who used to be alive and now they're all gone. Mm -hmm. You know, they used to be here and now they're all gone. And in some cases that's not true. Like tribes are still there. Yeah. They're still do, you know, they still like, we're still alive, you know? And so making sure that you understand the history of the land, but you know, it is a way of just grounding us and centering us in our history because that is a part of our history that we just don't talk about and we don't learn about in school um, is understanding the original peoples of a land. And I think the idea is also of not, um, claiming ownership of the land, but understanding that like we are guests on this land. Like even if you own your house and own your land, like we're a guest on this earth, we are guests on the land and in a larger sense than the tribes that live there. Yeah. Yes. And so that's just a way of kind of grounding us in that. Um, so yeah, I think it can be really beautiful to kind of refocus, you know, and understand those things. Hey everyone, if you're already supporting the show through Patreon, thank you so very much. If you aren't yet, I wanted to let you know that you can now become a patron and support the show for as little as $5 a month. Becoming a patron can provide you with a variety of perks, including access to additional content like song lyric breakdown episodes, Q&A episodes where you can submit questions for me to answer, additional conversation episodes that won't show up in the public feed, and access to our Discord board where we're building community and engaging in deeper conversations around the show. Here's a sneak peek at some additional patron-only content. The Buddhist tradition, there's uh, prayers that are specifically praying uh, loving-kindness towards your enemies. Um, I think those kind of practices are actually really helpful for living uh, out that thing that's really spelled out clearly in Christianity. Um, and that's, uh, for me, that's been helpful to see that stuff in other traditions, to see... You know, I mean, it's kind of what the show's about, to see this common, beautiful thing in humanity that is popping up in not just one place, but in, in multiple places. And sometimes it makes it easier to see a certain beauty in your own tradition when you can see it through a different lens. Uh, it can kind of bring a new life to it if it's something you've been hearing your whole life and it becomes uh, white noise a bit so it can really highlight it and bring it out. If you're digging this podcast and want to join me and others like you in our pursuit of the good, the true, and the beautiful, then joining us on Patreon is the best way to do it. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash carry the fire pod. All right, let's get back to the show. This is kind of nerdy and random, but uh, so okay. I, I thought of it when I was doing a little research for this. But uh, have you heard of the idea of anatheism? Uh, maybe. I thought what you might it? be interested. So basically, uh, this guy Richard Kearney, I think, coined the term, but uh, it basically means like uh, God after God. Like a, um, so it's described as like a, a moment of creative not knowing that signifies a break with former sureties and invites us to, for, mm. to forge new meanings from ancient wisdoms. Um, so basically this idea, I think it's like a, the simplest way to describe it would be like, I believed in God and then I had to break down what those ideas were and now mm -hmm. finding my way back to God. It, but it's a very different, Oh yeah, a sure. different way of believing. Um, 
Like basically what similar. our deconstruction is. The yeah. reconstruction after it. I guess so, yeah. I I like the idea of it, like, uh, because uh, deconstruction is often, I think often people see it as a very negative yeah. term when it's not, sure. I mean, it's been kind of ripped out of its original context. And uh, I mean, I think we know what we're talking about when we're talking about it with people who are also engaged in whatever right. that process is. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I figured you'd probably not heard of it. I've only heard one person talk of it ever, but I, um, I thought I'd at least share it with you because I thought you might appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I like that. I'm going to look it up. Do you want to talk about Baylor at all or no? <laughs> uh, it depends on what you want to ask yeah. about it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we went to Baylor. You went to Baylor. You spoke in chapel. And from what I can gather, they, people thought you prayed to Mother Mystery. You actually which I prayed didn't. to Mystery. <laughs> yes. Um, which is a pretty orthodox thing, even though a lot of people might not understand that. But then people started talking about, oh, sure, Mother Mother Mystery. Why, why not that too? Um and uh, I don't know, people got really, really heated about it. But it seemed like you were just trying to a little bit just show open, mysterious way to engage the divine. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I, I guess I'm curious, like, what... Um, I know there was a ton of backlash. Are you glad that you went there still are you glad of the controversy or is it a bummer it's a little bit yeah. of both um you know it revealed a lot and the reality is that black indigenous women of color go through these things all the time mm -hmm. um where it doesn't really matter what we say or how we say it um that these things will be seen as um sort of antagonistic you know like you could pray the kindest thing and it's you could still be seen as this outside force that's you know bad or influence influencing your students for for bad um and so it really revealed like you know i was showing up in a space that has this group of students who are um ultra conservative and so opening with a land acknowledgement in texas mm -hmm. and you know praying to an idea of God that's not the typical one in some spaces. Um, it revealed just how fragile um, they were. And um, and the lack of, you know, the university kind of um, making it right didn't surprise me. But, you know, um, it had happened to my friend Kathy. Um, you know, it had happened by then to two women. So I was the second one that it happened to. And so, you know, this is a pattern and I, and we knew that. And as bad as it was, um, it was also really beautiful just to see how many people, uh, stepped up to, you know, encourage me and thank me for speaking. Um, that was really beautiful. So in the midst of it, it, it was really hard. Um, but then, you know, coming onto Twitter, and seeing all these people just kind of rallying and behind me and thanking me was really amazing. Um, and I wasn't expecting that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, did not love the experience, but I think it <laughs> revealed a lot. And I think it revealed a lot once again of like, this is what America has always been. And these institutions, like, you know, the fact that it's 2020 and they're just not ready for these conversations and, until they are, it, they're not safe spaces for black indigenous women of color. They're just not. And so, you know, it just revealed that in a, once again, in a bigger way. Yeah. So. Well, I appreciate you doing it and going through it Thank in you. the sense that I think those conflicts, and it, it doesn't mean it's your responsibility to engage in that conflict, but the fact that you did it, it, provokes an opening I think for people to see like yeah. a lot of people are going to react in by kind of knee jerking into an over conservative response right and protect uh, yeah, what exactly. they feel like is necessary but I, I think the only way people change is 
there's little moments that are moving people into a different place and then yeah there'll be something that will spark and they'll they'll see something different for the first time and um i don't know that's unless things are getting shaken up in some sense i don't think that ever happens so yeah and you know it's interesting because i think that we are often like kind of like all or nothing people like even on social media like you have to totally agree with this person or totally disagree and and there are so many spaces where we exist as humans where we are not going to agree on of course we're not going to agree on everything you know and i there were a few students who sent me messages and they said you know I didn't really agree with everything you said, but I'm so sorry that this happened and it wasn't mm. okay. And I really appreciated those students because, you know, cause they were saying like, you know, you weren't really for me, but, um, but I'm still sorry this happened and I'm still grateful I got to see you speak. And that's beautiful because they're, you know, they're naming it like, we're not really the same and I don't, you know, maybe you challenged me a little, but you know, and I, I just, I really appreciated that too. like we don't have to be all the same. Yeah. That's, that's a hard, hard thing to do. I think whatever side Mm -hmm. of anything you're on, um, it is, I, I'm definitely trying to think through more with this show with, cause I lean more left in a lot of ways, but I'm, I don't want to shut out, uh, more conservative voices that are seeing good and true and beautiful things, uh, and building those, bridges like we we need those bridges to be i mean i guess more of like a web we need that web to to be connecting and the more that that web is felt and seen by people on Mm -hmm. all sides of it like the better off we're all going to be because we see the ways we're connected um right so yeah it's a it's a challenge for sure but yeah that's really great that those people did that i feel like we've got this a little bit but maybe there's something else that you would have here, but I I like to ask people, what are some of the ways that they are consistently try to seek out or encounter beauty? Hmm. So is there something that's not nature related that you have? (laughs) (laughs) It's okay if it's nature related. We just, does my dog count as nature? I love Uh, my dog. 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 Both of my dogs. I have a Husky who's really old. So he just kind of hangs out in the backyard. Um, but I have a, two-year-old Weimariner named Jupiter, who's always by my, I mean, he's always inside with us. So I spend more time with Jupiter. Um, and you know, there are times when you're just like, you know, get out of my face. You're annoying. And then there are times when you just stop and you're like, wow, this little creature, not little, my dog's huge. This (laughs) giant creature at my side, you know, is just this bundle of love. And, Mm -hmm. um, especially in a time when we're all stuck inside, Like, it's just really beautiful to have him. And, um, and then I'm finding beauty again in art in you know, music. And we listen to music all the time in this house, but you know, when you're grieving or when you're processing something, art and words and music just find their way to you differently, Mm -hmm. I think. And so I've picked up my guitar and I've started singing again, like just cover songs. And I just really enjoyed it because I have not done it in, in quite a few years. So to just pick up a guitar and look up songs, just tons and tons of music and just sing my favorite songs um, has been really beautiful and surprised me that that I've returned to that again because mm. I wasn't expecting it. That's cool. Yeah. A lot of returning. That's good. What's, what's the top top three most played things in your house during, during quarantine? Songs? Uh, like bands or I don't know. Oh gosh. Musicians. Um, let's see. Uh, we listen to a lot of Gregory Allen Isakov. Okay. Um, he's a like singer songwriter uh-huh. in yeah. Den- from Denver. We listen to a lot of, uh, I listen to a lot of jazz. So I like jazz a lot. Um, like what kind of jazz? Anything. Um, I just do like jazz stations and then whatever comes on. Cool. Like any jazz songs covered by everybody. I just really mm. enjoy that. Um, every night, uh, I sing jazz songs to our kids when they go to bed. So I Aww. sing um, Just the Way You Look Tonight and what else do I think? Uh, Fly Me to the Moon. So there are like a few that I just go through. And I don't know why that happened. I think they're just songs I've always loved. So I decided to start singing it to them. So, so we like sing vo- together vocal and, I, jazz stuff. and it's really great. It's like a lot of stuff with vocals, vocal jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, ever, do you ever listen to uh, 
Chet Baker? No. I tried. If you, there's an album called Chet Baker Sings, I think it's probably just a compilation, but it's, um, he was a trumpeter and cool vibe, but he sings and I feel like he doesn't have the best voice and there's, he sings well, but it's not, I don't know. It always feels like it's on the edge of not being there and it's kind of beautiful. <laughs> cool. Um, okay. I'll look him up. Yeah. There's actually a really good, um, Biopic. Is it biopic or biopic? I always, I can never decide what I want to say. Biopic sounds biopic, more like. Maybe? That's what yeah, I said. Biopic sounds more like fancy, though. Um, right, that's true. Anyway, there's one with about him that Ethan Hawke plays him, and it's uh, oh, really? really good and kind of devastating, too. Okay, I'll look him up. Okay, so you got uh, Gregory Allen, you've got Jazz. Jazz. Um,. I listen to Aurora a lot. She's um, like a Scandinavian singer. Oh, I think someone showed amazing. that to me a little while back. Okay. I'll have yeah. to check, check that out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last question. Do you have any consistent practices that you find helpful? That can be, that's very broad. So it could be. Just, yeah. Um, I need a, I need a new book to read. Um, but I really like to read in the mornings, um, and just journal a little, like Mm -hmm. I don't do it for very long and I have kids and we're all home now. Um, but you know, just getting up and sitting in the quiet and, um, trying, um, I get on my phone all the time, but trying not to do that and to just like read a book and write instead for Mm -hmm. a little bit, um, I think is really good. And in times of like anxiety and stress, just, doing like breathing exercises. Mm -hmm. I know it just sounds like it wouldn't work. Um, because so many people talk about how you should just like take a breath, but it really does help like stopping and just, um, taking time to breathe and like resetting your body really, really does help. And I've done, I've done that a lot in the last few years. Yeah. I I feel like we're again, like in the West kind of, uh, just, destined to think that sounds dumb or like it doesn't really matter because we're so disconnected from I'm my body is me I'm not a brain that controls this other thing like your brain's part of your body you are your body like yeah and if you totally if you breathe it will change what your brain is doing like yeah it's great yeah we are so disconnected from our bodies and and I don't think we realize like the mental, spiritual trauma, any, any, any of that that we have directly affects our actual physical bodies. And I just, I don't think we talk about that enough, um, and acknowledge it. Yeah. I've been thinking about too, the way that being embodied, if you really take it seriously, it means that the person that you are in some sense is, um, like it's much more fluid then we want to talk about it as being like, Hey, you're, you're just this person. And especially, I think some of this comes out of growing up in conservative church, but like so much is just like, you are either good or bad based on all these little things. And it's like, uh, it makes me think of, there's actually this great CS Lewis quote where he's talking about, you can't judge someone's uh, goodness or badness based on their external like reactions he's like there might be someone yeah. who you see and be like oh they're like the best and then this grumpy man and you're you're judging him so harshly and he's like based on what he's experienced and what his life is like he's like killing it like right. his totally. grump his grumpy gruff self is like that guy's a saint like um and just so that, yeah like are you are you tired are you depressed like i mean everyone's and every like we also act like everyone is just one stamp of the same thing. And so you right. all should be having the same reactions and we're all right. so, so, so different. Yeah. We're strange creatures and we're always changing and it's okay. Yeah. yeah it is. So your book's coming out and the full title is native. Um, the title is native identity, belonging and rediscovering God. And it's out May 5th. So okay. So it's still coming out May soon. 5th. Cool. Yeah. And you can pre-order that all over the place. You yeah. Have... If you go to my website, you can kind of find everything there. CaitlinCurtis.com is probably the best place you can go. Okay. And your Twitter is? Uh, at Caitlin Curtis. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time. 
Yeah, thank you. If you have a moment today, it would help a ton if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CarryTheFirePod. I want to thank my producer, Andy Lara, and all of our executive producers, Adam Collins, Amy Armstrong, Andrew Diaz, Brianna Webb, Brian Weisbecker, Cameron Lane, Colin Hawthorne, Denise Sugita, David Cobb, Drew Para, Eric Gonzalez, Gabe Muniz, Gary Jilke, Hamsa Babahani, Jeremy Robinson, Jess Card, John Buchan, John Diego, John Engel, Jonathan Clark, Jordan Goodman, Jordan Everly, Joshua Malara, Kyle Starr, Luca Leva, Luis Rivera, Luis Enriquez, Marco Padilla, Mark Francis, Mark Weiss, Matt Fuchs, Matthew Alcon, Michael Maitland, Miguel Pinabroa, Nathaniel Bailey, Ron Alberca, Ryan Cornelius, Samantha Simmons, Sean Weidmeyer, Stephen Saucier, Susanna Coleman, Ted Reiser, Tiffany Payne, Timothy Dewine, and William Galdemez. Thank you all so much for carrying the fire with me, and I'll see you next time.